What's the most gorgeous food you've ever tasted? Uh, Food or drink? For me it's got to be great coffee, the perfect espresso, the gorgeous aroma of freshly ground coffee as you walk into the coffee shop. Then you walk over to the gleaming, steaming espresso machine, that dispenser of joy, that provider of the elixir of life. The barista grinds the coffee, tamps the shot, loads the handle into the machine and presses the button. The pump starts. I wait in expectation. And then it begins. The sweet, rich, strong smell of that creamy black syrup as it dribbles out the machine into my cup. To feast for the eyes as well. The contrast between the white cup and the bubbly golden brown of the coffee crema on your cup. And the ears, the welcoming sound of the milk steamer hissing and foaming away makes my taste buds salivate just thinking about it. And then you take your first sip and the gorgeous, rich, complex taste fills your mouth. It's relaxing and invigorating at the same time. Praise God for coffee. Well, I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's chocolate or a hot apple pie or perfect fish and chips. Peter is saying in these verses that we should desire God's word the same way we do the tastiest food or drink. We're to crave it like newborn babies crave milk. 1 Peter 2.2 says, Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Have you ever watched a newborn baby breastfeeding? Now, I know it's a bit rude to watch uh, if it's not your baby, but it's an amazing sight. One moment the baby's screaming. There is no other purpose at, uh, to life at this point in time than getting that wonderful milk from mum, nourishing, comforting, life-giving. Newborn babies crave it. And when they finally latch on and they start, they start sucking furiously, like their life dependent on it. Their little brow furrows up with concentration and exertion and then the milk starts to flow and their whole body relaxes. Ah, this is the good stuff. This is what life is about. This is where I get all that I need. Is that what you're like with God's word? Do you long for pure, undiluted, full strength words from God? Because life's not the same without them. We need to regain our spiritual appetite. Rediscover how good and nutritious God's word is. So what I want to do to start is to show you five reasons why we should crave the pure spiritual milk of God's word. There in the second half of the reading. I want to describe it in detail as Peter does, just like I did that wonderful cup of coffee, to whet your appetite, to stimulate your senses and excite your spiritual taste buds. And when we've done that, we'll go back to look at those first verses and chew over them for a little while and see if God can't do his work in us through his word. So firstly we see that God's word purifies us. Verse 22, 
says, now that you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth. That's talking about when someone becomes a Christian, when they obey the truth they hear. Uh, That action of obedience has the effect of purifying, of washing, cleaning, separating them. And it's the message they hear that does that. The message points to the one who does the purifying. And so it's the word, his word, that purifies us, God's word. If you like, his word is soap for the soul. The second thing we see is that God's word rebirths. Now, I'm not sure whether that's a word or not, but it's God's word that causes us to be born again. Verse 23 says, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed, through the living and enduring word of God. It's describing the same event as when we were cleansed. It's a different picture to describe what happens when God makes us his children. When we first become Christians, when we respond to God's offer of salvation. We've already been born once physically, but God makes us brand new people. He gives us a new heart, a clean heart, one that wants to follow Jesus. And that's when we're born again. And God does it through his word. His word is the sword of his spirit, his weapon. That might be a word that people hear or a word that we read. It may be on a recording. Maybe it's live. It may be from a sermon. It might be from your mum and dad or from a neighbour. But if we hear about God's offer of forgiveness and acceptance, then that's God's word through other people, but it's God's word and that's what makes us born again. Have you done that? Have you received and accepted God's word, his offer of salvation? If not, then you can do that right now and you can be reborn. But how can words do something that powerful? How can words purify or give new birth? Well, because they're more than just words, they're God's words the eternal, all-powerful creator of the universe says them and that makes them living and enduring. That's what it says in that same verse. Verse 23 says, the living and enduring word of God. Living. What does it mean that God's word is living? Well, God's words have a very different character to say my words. I say something and the words just hang in the air. They're they're limp and listless and lifeless. There's no power in my words. I can't change people's minds or create something when I speak. But Hebrews 4.12 says God's word is active. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword It penetrates, even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. God's words have a way of hitting you, of holding a bright torch into those dark, miserable, embarrassing areas of your life. Thoughts and attitudes and sins, maybe that you treasure, you don't want to let go of. 
God's word can convict you of things about yourself you need to change. And because they're God's living words, they always achieve his purposes. They're effective words. Isaiah 55, 10 and 11 says this, As the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth, says God. My word will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Because those words come from a God of infinite power, when he says them, they will always achieve what he wants. God said, let there be light, and there was light. Jesus said, be still, and the wind and the waves were still. Jesus said, wake up to the dead little girl, and she came back to life. And God says to us, I love you, come to me, repent, follow me, and we do. God's word purifies, it brings rebirth and it's living. Fourthly, we see that God's word endures, it's imperishable. Verse 23 again says that, it's imperishable. When I was in primary school, my parents bought the World Book Encyclopedia. Anyone remember that? Did anyone have one of those on their shelves? Or maybe if you're really wealthy, you had the Encyclopedia Britannica. World Book Encyclopedia, useful for every project. That was before this thing called the internet. Uh, Useful for every project, every piece of homework, you'd go straight to the encyclopedia, cost a small fortune, but every year it got more and more outdated and so you had to keep purchasing the update volume. The events of 1973, the events of 1974, the events of 1975 and so on. Everything that had changed in the previous year. I don't think school kids today even know what an encyclopaedia is. But God's word is not like that. It doesn't go out of date, doesn't go out of fashion, it's never superseded by new technology or updated information. Once true, powerful and relevant, always true and powerful and relevant. His word doesn't change because God doesn't change. That's the real reason. And so we can trust his word. His promises stand. He doesn't change his mind like us. He's not influenced by the latest books or movies or philosophies. The reliability of his promises rests on the reliability of God himself. When Jesus promises he's preparing a place for us, he is. When he promises that he'll come back and take us to himself, we can trust that. When Jesus says he gives his sheep eternal life and they will never perish and no one can snatch them out of his hand, we can trust that. When God promises that all things work together for good for those who love God, we can trust that. God's word endures. A second part of that idea is that the effects of God's word don't change they're permanent as well. When we promise something, even if we genuinely want to keep our promise, there's no guarantees, is there? 
I promise you I will be in this place at this time. So much of life is out of our control. We can't guarantee we'll be there. But when God's word produces something, it stays done until God says different. He created the world by his word. His world will stay until he says different. If you're born again, that's happened by God's word, you will stay that way. Your sins are forgiven. They can't be unforgiven. You've got a new heart. God can't take out the new heart and put the old one back in. God's word endures. Well, fifthly, we see that God's word nourishes. It makes strong. It strengthens. It brings growth. That's there at the end of the passage, chapter 2, verse 2. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Just like mother's milk carries everything a baby needs, fluid, nutrients, vitamins, minerals, antibodies, God's word carries everything we need for growth. The full smorgasbord, everything in one little book. There's a bowl of encouragement, a plate of enlightenment, a saucer of correction, a jug of fear and reverent awe, a platter of instruction and a long deep glass of refreshment. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, From infancy you've known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Thoroughly equipped, fully grown, well nourished. And how does that happen? It all comes from God's word. Well, there's five good reasons that we should crave the spiritual milk of God's word. That book you've got in your hands, it's dangerous and delightful and powerful and beautiful and attractive and nutritious. It's a banquet. I wonder if I've excited your appetite yet. Take the taste test. That's what Peter says, take the taste test. Verse 3, he says, Grow up into your salvation now that you've tasted that the Lord is good. Because when we taste the Bible, we're not just tasting a book, are we? We crave the taste of a book because that's where we meet the Lord of the book. It's not the sweet poetry of the words that attracts us, but the sweet goodness of the one who whispers those words to us. Our taste, our longing is for God himself. The one who didn't keep to himself, didn't leave us guessing, but went to the trouble of telling us and then went to the trouble of preserving those words into a book and keeping them so that we hold them in our hands today. God did all of that. Here's what I'm like. Here's what I've done for you. Here's what pleases me. Take the taste test challenge. Taste the Lord in his word as you live for him and you'll find that he's good. Well, that's the challenge. I've told you what God's like, uh, what God's word is like and what it does, but let's let his word loose 
Let's spend just a few minutes looking at those, the verses that come at the start of this passage to see if God can nourish and cleanse and give life to us through his words. In this section, Peter uses a, a formula for how, his, how God's word should build us up as readers. He starts off, he describes who we are now, in the present, since, and then he describes who they should be, the future. Therefore, since, therefore, and then thirdly, he gives reasons why they should change. Because, since you're like this, therefore be like this, because of this reason. So see if you can spot each of those since, therefore, because. So firstly, verse 13 begins, therefore, prepare your minds for action. Hang on a minute, Dave, you said since came first. Well, that's right, we're actually coming in halfway through one of these little cycles. We have to go back to what's before verse 13 to find out the since. All the way back in verse 3, do you remember last week we looked at it? Peter praises God because he's given us new birth into a living hope through Jesus' resurrection and so down in verse 8 we're filled with joy because we're receiving salvation. That's the sense. That's the here's what you have now. Salvation, hope, inheritance, joy. Then we get to verse 13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. So what should we do? First things first, get your mind right and then the actions follow the mind. Prepare your minds for action, he says. It's literally, now this is a bit hard to do literally, gird up the loins of your minds. Now, girding the loins, for, for our English learners, that's a, a bit of a weird phrase, but when a soldier goes into battle, he has a long shirt and he's got a belt and he tucks up the, the long shirt into the belt so he doesn't trip over his feet. It doesn't, he doesn't trip up with the long skirt so he can run freely. So we're to do that with our minds. Get your minds ready. Uh, you do it by being self-controlled. It's the same word as being sober. Keep your wits about you. Make the decision that whatever comes your way, you can control it. God promises, as Marjorie talked about, not to tempt us. He says, I will not tempt you, but there will be circumstances where you get to choose. Is this going to be a trial or are you going to give in to the temptation? There's no excuses. It's not circumstances that control you. You get to choose. Well, how can you get thinking that is that one tract? Well, Peter says you can set your mind on the right path by setting your hope fully on the future, on what Jesus has promised. Set your hope on the inheritance. And the flip side of that, don't desire the things that you've left behind you. Verse 14, don't conform to the evil desires you used to have. Look ahead, don't look back. That's the way to live in the present. 
and it's all there in your mind. Thoughts, desires, motivations, the battle to live differently begins in your mind. Once the mind's right, the actions follow, says Peter. Verse 15, don't conform to the old desires, mould your behaviour instead into a different shape. Verse 15, don't mould yourself to the world. Verse 15, be holy as your heavenly Father is holy. That's the here's why you should, that's the because. Because God is holy, his children should be holy as well. There should be a family resemblance between father and children. So that's the first, since, therefore, because. Peter repeats the same pattern, verse 17. Here's where you are now, since... One day your heavenly Father will judge you justly. That's true. Judgment's coming. Therefore, what should you do because judgment's coming? Live in reverent fear. It's obvious really. If God sees everything and if he's going to judge you justly, then you should respect him in the way you live. That's obvious. Don't just presume that because he's your father he'll let you get away with it. Since God's judging you, live in reverent fear. And then verse 18, here's why you should do that. Because you were bought for a huge price. Nothing like silver or gold. You were bought with the precious blood of Christ. That's how precious your holiness is to God. You should value your holiness as much as God values your holiness. Since, therefore, because. Come to the third cycle in verse 22. Uh, Now that you're purified and love the brothers, since, that's the since, you're clean, you're a Christian, you're loving the brothers, therefore, what's the second step? Uh, Do it even more. Yeah, you love, but you can love more. You can love more deeply. You can love without limit. You can love from the heart, not just in action. You can love sincerely, not just faking it, with ulterior motives, with a hidden agenda. You can actually love in a pure way. Since you love, love more. And why? What's the because? Verse 23, because you've been born again by the living, enduring word of God. His words are powerful. They're at work in you. Let them work. Finally, the fourth cycle, since, therefore, because. Verse 25, here's where you were. Since, this is the word that was preached to you, imperishable, enduring, eternal. Chapter 2, verse 1 says, therefore, since God is, God's word is like this, therefore, let it work. Get rid of all the stuff that doesn't measure up to what God commands you things that don't last. God's word lasts, so get rid of the things that don't last. Get rid of it. The word literally means cast off. Cast it off. Imagine you're in a hot air balloon. It's losing altitude too quickly. You're going to crash into the ocean. So you start throwing everything overboard. That's not important. So you can survive. 
all the things that weigh you down. Because when you land, it's only the crucial things that count. And so Peter says, get rid of all the ballast. Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. As far as a list of sins go, it's not a really awful one, is it? It could have been much worse. In fact, on the surface, it's quite a presentable list, really. Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. The sort of list that you can do while presenting a respectable face to the world. In fact, it's the sort of list you may have brought with you to church this morning. The sort of list that can rear its ugly head as you talk at morning tea, as you compare achievements or share prayer points or even chat about the weather. Some of these sins creep in. Get rid of malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander of every kind and instead crave pure spiritual milk. Fill up on those words. Get rid of the words of malice and envy and deceit and fill up on God's words. And Peter's final point, here's why. Since because, since therefore because, here's the last because. You've tasted that the Lord is good. Life with God is wonderful. Don't fall for the trap that there's something out there that tastes better. God is good. Take the taste test. Crave pure spiritual milk. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you'd help us to love your word, to cherish it, and that it would do its work in us and feed us and grow us and make us more like Jesus. Amen.